So hi everybody, welcome to the uh, concluding session um, on Shofar that will help us get ready for the most explosive, resonant, um, acoustic moment of the Rosh Hashanah holiday, the real like kind of climax of the Rosh Hashanah experience. Um, we talked last week about, the focus of last week's session was about how the Shofar affects us, what's happening in our internal space when we hear the sound of the Shofar. But we also talked about kind of the ways in which especially Elul, is an especially sonic time. It's an acoustic time. It's an oral time. When you hear the first time, when you hear Ledavid and the Shofar in the beginning of Elul, it sets you in the mood for what it means to be doing this work. When you hear the first time that the uh, High Holidays Nusach is used when they say Slichos, you start getting kind of inducted into the into the sonic bath, right? This kind of full immersion experience of not just the content of what the High Holidays entail, but also the environment that it creates. <clears throat> so we're going to continue our exploration of the shofar tonight, and we're going to look at not just the ways that the, the sound waves of the shofar resound and resonate in us, but how actually, like all sound waves do, they emanate outwards, and it will harmonize and, and vibrate and resound even unto the uppermost reaches of the heavens. So we're going to look, so before we saw, in a way, we focused on, actually, I'd, I'd bring this in, but it's interesting, there's a machleikas in the Rishonim, there's a halachic debate in the early medieval rabbis. <clears throat> and the question is, what do you say the bracha on? What do you say the blessing on? Is it on blowing the shofar, or is it on hearing the shofar? And the answer ends up being very definitively, um, as in the Rambam, but that ends up becoming the... Uh, the definitive answer. Now the mitzvah is to hear the shofar, not to blow the shofar. Somewhat similar, like the mitzvah is to be in a sukkah, not to build the sukkah. So we talked mostly last week about what it means to receive the shofar, to be the auditor of the shofar. But tonight I want to talk about us taking up the shofar, what it means to activistically engage with the shofar, what we do with it. Now, I don't think that just means for the person, classically, it's the person who's blowing it. And um, as background to all the sources we're going to do, we should just know that the shofar ends up becoming, I would say, similar to the, um, to the ritual act of scribing, right? being a sefer stam, a, a scribe who writes tefillin and mezuzahs and sefer Torah, and that ends up becoming a huge repository for spirituality, for mysticism, for meditation. There's all these kavanot, meditations, Kabbalistic meditations that have been written for the blower of the shofar to have in mind. And similar to these, actually all these, uh, this is especially for Susie's friend Nancy, um, especially for um, uh, so Naomi, sorry, uh, is uh, there are all these um, angelic meditations and permutations that actually the, the hearers of the shofar should know. So it it, 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 it triggers this angel or that angel, etc. But point is, is that in the technology of shofar, right, in the way that we that we map out and we imagine the impact of shofar, um, what it's able to do, it involves a certain kind of play or response dialogue with the heavens, and that's where we're going to explore today. So last week we talked about what's happening inside of us, how the shofar moves us. And tonight we're going to talk about how we move 
with the shofar. Okay. So let's take a look at the sources. Right, can everyone see that okay? Great. Okay. So, Safari always never, I always have like the formatting right and I always get the formatting screwy. Okay. Um, it's, the, it's called Resounding in the Heavens. The subtitle is How the Shofar Affects God. Okay. So let's look at an early Midrash first because this is going to give us the first and I would say also maybe perhaps the most radical image of what the shofar is able to accomplish. And we're going to really get into um, <clears throat> the situation in God's domain. Um, okay, so first thing to remember, uh, you know what, let's just get into it and then we'll, we'll, we'll extricate from it. So let's start. So Yehudu Bar Nachman Meshem Reish Lakish Pasach. So Yehudu Bar Nachman quotes Reish Lakish and he opens a Midrashic um, exposition. Allah Elohim Bitrua says Elohim ascends with Trua, right? With the sound of the shofar. Bishasha Karshbarhu Olev Yoshev Al Kise Hadin. Badin hu Olev. When the Holy One ascends, like gets up and sits down in the throne of judgment, God ascends in judgment i.e. the judgment side of God, Midas Hadin, is um, active, right? It's the dominant feature of God's persona. Okay, so let's just pause for a second. Let's just make sure we get the whole way that this is all act, you know, this is uh, interacting. So, what's Rosh Hashanah called? We focused last week on Rosh Hashanah's called Yom Teruah, right? The day of the horn blast. But what else is Rosh Hashanah called? It's interesting too. You think Yom Kippur is the day that we're judged, but it's not. Which day is called Yom Hadin, the day of judgment? Hine Yom Hadin. A little bit of Nisana takeoff preview. Like, today is the day of judgment. Which day is that referring to? Are you referring to Rosh Hashanah? It's yes! Like well okay. done, Lauren. Yom Kippur! I mean, it's in the name. What is Yom Kippur a day of? Yom Kippur. So the day okay, 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 no, okay. In the shot, Lauren, in the shot. Oh, Sicha. No, um, I'm just ribbing. I mean, we call it the Day of Atonement. Yeah, that's right. It's the like, Day of Atonement. So that's yeah. the Chatein, and, and Rosh Hashanah is uh, the Ketiva. Good, good. Yeah. So Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness. It's not a day of judgment. Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment. Interestingly, you know, actually, there was actually an old tradition that was, like, squished out very quickly, but it is an old tradition to fast on Rosh Hashanah. There's, like, an ascetic, kind of, like, dark version of Rosh Hashanah. Um, Actually, the rap, I mean, it's the only holiday we have that in which the moon is dark. Yad al Kesiyah, it says, that the hand is on the Kesiyah, the hidden God. And it's the word Kisei, but shortened because it's not in its fullness, right? It's the moon is hidden because it's the new year, it's the new month. 
So there's like a dark version of Rosh It's the day of judgment. So it's Rosh Hashanah that judgment ascends. Now, quick Midrashic review. Which, what name does the Pusik use to refer to God? Elohim. Elohim. And in the Midrashic imaginary, the name Elohim is associated, I mean, in the Pshat, the word Elohim actually means judge. Right, when it says, uh, the judge is in your, in your, in your camp, in Vayikra. Um, it's not talking about, I mean, it might be talking about little idols that you have to get rid of, and you have to get rid of them, but also to refer to human judges. The word Elohim actually means judge. So the name Elohim for God refers to God's aspect of judgment, Midat Hadin, versus Yudke Vavke, right, the Tetragrammaton, which in the Midrash, in every single Midrashic text, in Kabbalistic text, except for one single Midrashic text in Mechilta de Rebbe, um, de Rebbe, not Ishmael, de Rebbe, um, de Rebbe Shimon Yochai, is, um, is, it's switched. But in almost every single Midrashic text, Elohim is associated with Midas Adin, and Yudke Vavke is associated with its partner, Midas Harachamim, God's aspect of, of, of love, of compassion. Okay, so let's start again. Allah Elohim Vitrua. On the day of Trua, on the day of the Shofar, God's aspect of Elohim, of judgment, is aroused, right? Is awoken. It's alert. It's ascendant. Okay, so God gets up, Kivyachol, and sits on the throne of judgment. Now, just close your eyes for a second. Imagine a, uh, a movie. What kind of movie is this? The day after tomorrow. No. Uh, what, what kind of movie is this? Moonfall. A drama? It's definitely dramatic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's not a rom-com. <laughs> not that another holiday is a rom-com. It's not George Burns' is, uh, God. Yeah, you know, I was thinking like, um, yeah, it could, it's definitely right. But I mean, think like, what, what, what's the George Burns imaginary of like? How do we imagine God's like? What's God's space like? Kind right, so, of in heaven on a throne. Okay, good. We have a throne, right? So it's a throne. Well, it's a throne. What? It, it's a, like a kingly throne. Yeah, good. This is a throne yeah. room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It would be like if you're meeting Queen Elizabeth, you know, and, and she's yeah, yeah, but that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Right. So this is why, right, when it says, ah, ah, yes, a king of flesh and blood is like this, but ah, the king of king of kings is like this, right? So we have, we're drawing on the human image of a king to understand what, it, how, I mean, again, this is not literal. God does not literally sit on a chair, blah, blah, blah. This is our imagination. Right, but we're using our imagination to understand the dynamics at play here. Okay? And we we're imagining God sitting on the throne of judgment. Aha! Okay. So it's like a king, right? And someone's going to a king and like pleading, like pleading their case. And the king is on the throne. And then the king might go, off with his head! Right? This, that's the throne of judgment. Ubisha she Yisrael nightlin shafaros vetokin 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu omed mi kisei hadin v'yoshev al kisei rachmim. But when the people of Israel take up the shofar and blow, 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 then the Holy One gets up from the chair and sits on the throne of compassion. Aha! So now it's not like the movie anymore, because as far as I know, <clears throat> the king only has one chair. Right? Maybe the queen sits on the other side. Maybe. But the notion that there would be two chairs, would I think, would actually disrupt or disturb the um, the tableau, right? The way it's all supposed to be arranged. But this is a dynamic description of how God is, how God behaves. That God is not stuck in this one chair. God moves. And what is it that triggers God's movement? <clears throat> the sound of the shofar. Exactly. It's the shofar that is able to move God. So last week we saw how the shofar moves us. And we thought of, you know, in like in a way like, oh, I'm emotionally moved, right? Something moved. <clears throat> Sorry, I got the frog in my throat. Something moved inside of me, right? I was moved by that. But here we have, you know, like it's literalized. The shofar is literally able, the force, like the blast is able to move God, right? Dislodge God, dislocate God from the throne of judgment to the throne of mercy, to the throne of compassion. And how do we know that? Because the end of the Pusik says, Hashem bikol shofar. Hashem, yud ke being associated with mercy. So once the sound of the shofar comes, that is when the name Hashem becomes ascendant, and God sits on the throne of compassion. And God is suffused, overflowing with compassion for Israel, and takes mercy on them, and transforms, that's very interesting, and transforms the aspect of judgment into becoming the aspect of compassion. The measure of judgment, right, the, like the meter the measuring stick of judgment and turns it into a very different kind of standard. All right, so mida can mean like a quality, a feature, an aspect of your personality. That's, I think, the literal meaning of it here. But mida also literally means measure. And I and think of it, and really think of it differently. When, when, what does it mean? We're talking about what it means to judge somebody what it means to adjudicate, what it means to um, respond judiciously to a situation. And if somebody comes to you and says, like, oh my god, I'm so sorry I broke your plate, you know, it's one thing to respond to them with the measure of judgment. I'm gonna get my plate back. You're gonna pay. Versus responding to them with a measure of compassion, in which it's not a one-to-one -one kind of thing, right? You don't need to get your justice for the plate. Um, okay, so let's take, take a pause there. So, just to review. According to this Midrashic text, the shofar is a theurgical instrument. Theurgy means it, in, it urges God. Right? Theo, like God, theology. Urge, like to urge somebody, to influence them. 
So the shofar influences God to change, to, as we imagine it, move from the throne of judgment to the throne of mercy. But as we see right after, what that means is to transmute, to transform the way that God receives us from a strict, rigorous standard to one that gives the benefit of the doubt, to one that, that includes forgiveness, to one that includes understanding. Thoughts, reflections? Um, I have a question. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of, uh, if you could scroll back up, is this the talk? Um, when it says, when it says, but when Israel take up their shofar and blow. So it sounds like, um, like uh, my question is who is blowing the shofar that gets Elohim to ascend to the throne of judgment? Because it doesn't sound like we're blowing that shofar. Oh, because it says Trua in the first part, in the first part of the Pasuk? Well, yeah, it says Elohim ascends with a trua. So who, like, where is that sound coming from? I think from it might again? be, in a sense, on the day of trua, God sits on the throne of judgment. But that's a good question. Is there, like, maybe it's the shofar of Elul, right? The shofar you start blowing in the beginning of Elul. Maybe that's the one. So maybe we shouldn't blow that one. Okay. But, um, but I think the idea, though, is that the shofar on Rosh Hashanah that's blown in the service... That's the one that moves God from one throne to another. Right. It's just the way that it's written. It says, but when Israel take up those shofars. So I, the, I, I mean, like, I translated it. I put the but in to, to oh, I see. because I put the but in because um, to like that it would be if we didn't take up the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, then God would stay on the throne of judgment. Right. But when we pick it up, then we're able to influence. Okay. Got it. All right, any other questions, comments? Okay, great. So the Zohar, as the Zohar often does, takes a Midrashic text, and then um, as the great rabbis of Spinal Tap say, turn it all the way up to 11. All right, so it's going to intensify it. So um, we'll stick to the English, unless anyone wants to do a free, freelance uh, Aramaic translation. But it says, um, it's referring to a larger discussion above. Let's not get bogged into what all of this is. But it says, and in all of this, as on the altar, we learn that one needs to present oneself in action. So we're referring to weekday stuff, right? When we can do things, when work is allowed, when you're allowed to um, intervene actively in the world in order to be saved so the destroyer does not appear. In other words, you don't just sit back and let, you know, you say, well, you know what? It's like that joke, you know, it's like a guy is like hanging on by a, by a, by a log in a, in a waterfall and, and, uh, and a coast guard comes, it's like, quick, we're going to save you. And he's like, ah, oh, God will save me. And a helicopter comes, like, grab onto the helicopter, he says, oh, God will save me. And then finally, um, a guy with a stick comes and like gives a, sends out the stick, like, I think I can pull you in. He's like, no, God will save me. And then he, he drowns. And then in heaven, God's sitting on the throne of judgment and says, why what what happened? He's like, well, I drowned. I was waiting for you to save me. What happened? He's like, God's like, listen, I sent a helicopter. I sent the Coast Guard. I sent that guy. Um, so the point is that we have to act. But, I mean, let's think of it now. When aren't we allowed to act? 
Like, when aren't we supposed to intervene in the world? Right, on Shabbos and Yuntif, right? On the holidays and on Shabbos, the whole point, in a way, I mean, it's an act of radical quiescence. It's an act of what it means to recognize the limits of our ability to intervene in the world, to accept the world as it is, that we're not supposed to change it. All of the laws about malacha on Shabbos, like work on Shabbos, they're all keeping us from intervening and changing things in the world. Which now raises a really interesting halachic problem, because what do we do on Rosh Hashanah? Uh, blowing the shofar. Blow the shofar! Yeah, no, okay, fine. You pick up a lulav on Sukkot, I guess, but come on, the shofar is like a much bigger deal. But Josh, aren't yeah. we, don't we intervene, like, to save a life on Shabbat? Because I would have said yeah, Shabbat. Yeah. Yes, that's but, just but we, the we to, Okay. Yeah, but it's not, yeah, yes, you're right, but that's when, in a sense, you need to suspend Shabbos in order to take some, care of something more important, namely saving a life. But it's not part of Shabbos. Okay. You know what I mean? You push pause on Shabbos and you're allowed to. But in this, like, if you're a doctor, right, like, actually, it's very clear that if you're a doctor working on Shabbos, that you're, it's not like you should be, like, using your phone in, like, a weird way. You need to be, like, fully prepared to do everything you need to do in case, like, an emergency situation happens and you're like, oh, I need to get a Gentile to, 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 to inject this drug or something, right? You, like, you need to be on the ball. So in this case, right, but with this, but shofar is part of Rosh Hashanah. Now, interestingly, in the texts, they get around this by saying, ah, it's not an uvda, it's not an act, it's chakima, it's wisdom. So here we're going to see, hai be'uvda, that's more referring to actions. But when you're not, when action is not required, like on Shabbos and Yantif, or Rosh Hashanah, what do you do then, right? Because it's the day of judgment, and yet we're not allowed to intervene. We're not allowed to do an act, right? So we're stuck. And the answer is then, what do we have to do? What can we do? What can we avail ourselves of? If you can't act, you, I mean, let's bracket like a philosophical discussion of what actions are. Yes, we're always acting, fine. If you can't, conventionally act, what can you do? You can use your word. So speech is seen as different than action. Don't tell J.L. Austin, we're not talking about speech acts right now, but speaking is something that's different than like, I don't know, punching a guy, right? To talk to somebody is different than like throttling them. I think we all agree. So, so when action is not required or not allowed even, when the wicked tongued masters arise against Israel, so remember I said before that the Zohar is always intensifying. It also mythologizes. So before we saw that God was sitting on the throne of judgment, and that this is a day of judgment. You, are, you go before the judge, and the judge um, decides your case. But here what we have now is something more, I'm going to say, mythic. It's mythic in the sense of, like, epic fantasy is mythic. Because now it's not just that we have a dynamic God that capaciously includes judgment and compassion. Now we have a site of struggle in which the forces of judgment are now personified as the destroyer, as the wicked-tongued masters, right? These imps, these demons, these devils. So now Rosh Hashanah becomes a day of battle. 
Now, last, not, last week, we talked about how does the shofar influence or impact us. And one of the avenues I didn't follow in that Sorsheba, which Lauren brought up, was that the shofar is like a battle cry. This is the class where we're talking about the battle cry. Because now the shofar is being used to marshal our forces to fight, to struggle, and to win. So one needs words to fight the wicked-tongued masters. Play prayers and pleas. Salosi nuvausin. And we must appear inactive. We must appear, like, actively. And what do we appear with? With the shofar. So, here's how the, how is the Zohar threading the needle? You can't have uvda. You can't have, like, an embodied action on a Shabbos or a Yuntif. Let's ignore again the lulav. But what's now the shofar compared to that helps us kind of resolve that contradiction? What are we allowed to avail ourselves of? Okay. Hmm? Our words? Words. Exactly. So what's the shofar then? The shofar is a way of voicing something. Right? Kal, it's, I mean, the word that we use, I mean, the word for Hebrew and sound, for sound is kol, but it also means voice. And I really don't think that's an accident. The shofar is an expressive instrument. It is us calling out for something, crying out for something. Um, I was actually, I was, I was learning the uh, halachic work of uh, Rav Eliezer Malamed Shlita, called, um, <clears throat> what's it called? And, um, and in it, he actually says it's a, it's a, Kol Shalhalev, a voice of the heart, but actually uses the French, the cri de cour, right? But I mean, I loved that because what cri de cour, right, as all us good Canadians know, means cry of the heart, but from the French, we know the word cour is related to what other word? Courage. Courage. Right, the word courage is related to your heart. So we have here, it's not just, you know, I think before what we saw was more the like vulnerable side of shofar. But here we have the resilient, the, uh, the courageous, the energi the empowering side of shofar. To blow the shofar and it fills up with sound and it blasts out. With its sound, we bring out, we like invoke, we evoke compassion and judgment to unite as one. So in the Zohar, the, the way that, they, that the Zohar envisions unity is not just things smushing together and becoming goopy, but rather that the right includes the left. And what's the right side? The right side of love, compassion, and versus the left side of judgment. So judgment is, exists, but it's incorporated into compassion. So the shofar is the mighty sound of love blasting its way into heaven and conquering judgment. Just as the shofar above emits a sound that includes all as one, we go out to awaken compassion and to shatter the masters of judgment so they will not rule on this day. Okay. So... It's fascinating. We started with this midrashic image of the shofar as something that dislocates, that moves God from the throne of judgment to the throne of mercy.
There's another text, actually, that I wasn't able to track down. It might be in the Zohar, it might be elsewhere. But it actually uses the language of seduction, that actually the Zohar seduces God off of one throne to sit on the other, to, off the throne of judgment, to sit on the throne of mercy. And we see that here, that the shofar is a sound of compassion, a sound of love that's able to envelop, and to, uh, to take in, to assimilate judgment within it. But here we have this more martial image, this forceful image, right? I mean, I mean, we close our eyes and imagine it, right? The sound of the shofar is force. It blasts out. It explodes, and it like it evaporates, like what's in its path. It's like, um, you know, it's like a laser beam, right? An Akira or something like that. Right, just like it just evaporates whatever is in its path. It's like it's it's a forceful blast, and it and it um, it blows apart right these masters of judgment. So instead now of just like convincing or seducing God to shift from one chair to another, here we are actually part of a, a cosmic struggle to defeat the 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 side of judgment to defeat the 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 darks the dark forces. Um, so they will not rule on this day. So Rosh Hashanah ends up becoming this day in which something is, is accomplished. Now again, you, I mean, whether you believe this literally or not, or, you know, like there's plenty of, unfortunately, things that are outside of our control right now. But the image that show of, of Rosh Hashanah that we're being provided is here in which we're contributing to something. We're not just sitting on the sidelines. We're putting all of our heart and our soul and our brain and our might like we say in the Shema, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And you're devoting that to try to influence the world for the better, to defeat the masters of judgment. And when compassion is awoken, all the supernal lamps are lit, shining on all sides, as in the light of the presence of the King of Life. So the shofar, like, blasts through the master's judgment and like turns on all the lights in the sky. It's an incredible moment of, of release. Catharsis. Okay. Thoughts, ideas, reflections. I've got a question about the masters of judgment because it seems almost like, like Zoroastrianism, right? Like you've got the good gods, the bad gods. I mean, I thought it's only Hashem who is really the one who, who makes the judgments. I mean, maybe there's Midrashim about, you know, Satan. Um, you oh, we're getting, we're, we're getting to Satan soon. We're getting to it? Okay, because oh, to me yeah. it seems so weird. Like, so not Jewish. No? Um, well, you cited a Jewish text. Like, oh, there's Midrashim who say this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's Judaism. I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of Eov, but we really, it's yeah. a sin who makes well, okay. the we'll get, we'll, we'll get to that we'll get soon. To yeah, well, we'll get to the Satan soon. Um, but I don't know about you. Whenever you like replace meat with something with like a with like a something, you know, TVP or something, I always think I always think of Satan. Um, all right. So, I mean, you're right. It's using more mythological imagery, more dualistic imagery for sure. But it's still a monotheistic text. It doesn't think that the masters of judgment are working independently. They're working under the aegis of God, right? They're working as extensions of God's side of judgment, God's aspect of judgment. It's just, per yes, it's got it's personalizing that image that we saw above before. It's it, 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 you can see it as one or the other, but the point is now 
you can't fight God. I mean, I guess you can. That's what we're named after, right? Israel's. I, I wrestled with God and won, but still. Like, you can't, like, blast God into a zillion pieces. You can, however, blast God's henchmen, right? You get to, you know, to laser away all of these red shirts, right? They're gone. They're done. Um, um, I w uh, in terms of potential Zoroastrian influence, I mean, that actually, we, or let's say, conversation with Zoroastrianism. Actually, there's a whole cottage industry of rabbinic studies right now that look at the Babylonian Talmud in its Persian context. There's a great book by Shai Secunda called The Iranian Talmud, which is very good, very readable. Um, and he's drawing on his work, uh, his teacher, um, whose name I'm forgetting at this moment, I apologize. Um, but, yeah, Zoroastrianism is a fascinating thing. It's very under understudied. It's very hard to research. But, in terms of what's going on here, I also want to say that like, I think what we have is a very fungible, very flexible mythological imagination, right? In the sense that we're using all of these images and tools and, uh, and, and settings to try to use our human experience to try to understand something beyond our grasp, right? So some aspects of Judaism are harmonious. Right, or see only the oneness of all things. And other aspects, sides of Judaism, see the struggle that's inside of, th of, of the oneness. Right, the two in the one. And there are both voices. Um, so here we have more, I think, and again, you can like, you can, it, your mileage may vary, right? Like, you, I'm not, this, I'm teaching all of this as resources we can draw on so that we are able to infuse the experience of Shofar with something with an event right something that occurs something that occurs in us something that occurs in the world and something i really firmly believe i you know a lot of a lot of my colleagues i think like will think about judaism in terms of metaphor or symbol and things like that and while like i can agree with that intellectually but in terms of what it means to be a jew i'm committed to the belief that something real maps to what we're talking about now is it literal maybe not but it maps to something real. Torah is real. So I want to think about the ways in which shofar is real. What's really happening when we blow the shofar? Now again, I'm not looking for like a report. Extra, extra, God moved to another chair. But rather like when, when we're talking about the shofar as moving, let's think about all the ways in which that can, that can play out. Okay, so here we have um, Lauren's friend, Satan. Just kidding. We, now we have Lauren, the character Lauren wants us to pay attention to. So, Ve'amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Lama Tokin Rosh Hashanah. Good question. Why do we blow shofar in Rosh Hashanah? Asks Rabbi Yitzchak. Lama Tokin Rachmana. Lama Tokin. Amar Rachmana Amar. Tiku. Fine. The Torah, which the Talmud calls Rachmana, the compassionate one. The Torah says Tiku b'chodesh shofar. You blow the shofar at the beginning of Tishrei. Okay, fine. That's a pretty clear answer why you blow the shofar. Ella, now here's the real question. Lama Marine. Why do we do the trua? Ah, Marine Rahman Amar. Zichron Trua. Why do we do the trua? Because it says Zichron Trua. Okay, Rabbi Yitzchak, thanks for showing us all of the words. But what's really the question? Ella. Lama Tokin Umarian Aha 
Shein Yoshvim. Visokina Marien Shein Omdin. Why do we blow the Tekiah and the Teruah when you're sitting and also blow it when you're standing? So there are two sets of shofar blowings that we hear. One are what's called uh, Tekios Miyushav, and the other one's Meumad. The ones that are seated, the ones that are standing. Okay? Standing, right, when we have the shofar service, and seated during the um, repetition. Okay? The, the question really is, okay, why don't we just have one, why don't we just have one shofar service? Right, why do we have all this getting up and sitting down and getting up and sitting down? It's very complicated. And the answer? Larbeva Satan. To confuse Satan. The end. Okay, so very interestingly, this is not the only time actually that answer is given. So in Sefer, I mean, Hagim Mikoreadinim, which is an early modern book of uh, Jewish practices, it says, that we do a special kind of uh, hagba during every. Uh, have you ever been to Simchas Torah? You lift the Torah. You usually you just kind of lift it directly like this. But on Simchas Torah, you cross your arms and open it out to the people. Usually you face it towards you and you turn around so people can see it. But in the Simchas Torah, you twist your arms and you open it out for the people. And why? Ah, to confuse Satan. Okay, so. And actually, interestingly, has a very similar reason we'll see uh, in the Rashi in a minute. But, okay, just to make sure we get the point. Rabbi Yitzchak is confused. Why is it that we have a complex shofar service, right, in which we play Tekiah and Teruah and also Shivarim? Right? Why is it such a complex choreography? And, in terms of choreography, why does it ask you to stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down? Why is it so complicated? Aha! Rosie, why? So we can confuse the devil. We can confuse Hasatan. Now, to Lauren's point earlier, in terms of its um, origin in the book of Job, right, it was the first time this character shows up, then it's not Satan, right? It's actually, that's actually a Christian misunderstanding. Satan is a title. It is a job. Hasatan, we know this because there's a, a hey hayidiyah, there's the, um, um, article, the definitive, the definite article here, the Satan. Oh, you don't say the Josh. That'd be weird. But you do say the uh, milkman, right? So what does Satan mean? Satan means prosecutor. So what's the devil in the Jewish mythological imagination? He's Queen's counsel. Oh, yeah, I, I used American language below. But yes, no, that's exactly right. He's heaven's district attorney. Right? Like, listen, a it, it's just a cop in a suit. Right? That's what a district attorney is. It's Queen, is Queen's Counsel the prosecuting attorney? Yes. Okay. Not the, def not the defense? No. Okay. Um, the crown attorney. Huh? The crown attorney. It does the prosecution. Okay. Right. So it's the, it's the prosecuting attorney. It's the accuser. That's what Satan means. The accuser. Right? The person who brings charges against you. So there's the Satan, which is also called Hamikatreg. Right? The one who accuses you. 
And the Zohar actually, you see like learning Torah, doing mitzvahs actually creates defense attorneys for you in heaven who will defend you against heaven's queen's council, right? Who defends you against Hasatan. Again, we're using, ima we're using imaginary images here to understand, again, this kind of, what it means to say it's a day of judgment, right? What does it mean? God has a throne room. God has a court. And the court has attorneys. And Satan is the bad one. He's the one who's trying to throw you in jail. Okay? So, what do we do? Well, the defense, i.e. the person who blows the shofar, brings all kinds of weird stuff in his defense, so much so that it trips up the, the, uh, the queen's counsel, the, queen, the crown attorney, and it gets them totally confused, and they screw up their case, and you win! You go free! All right, so that's what the shofar is doing. It's bringing this super complicated thing uh, so that the prosecutor is confused. Okay, let's see the commentaries because it's it, it's not. Oh no, I did not mean to click that. Um, let's look at the commentaries because they also want to make sure that we get this. We get the point. Why can't I move this? There we go. Okay. So as one must, let's look at the Rashi. So Rashi says, "Kadela arbave." I love the word arbave. Your boov means to like smush, smush, mix up, confuse. Shalo yastin. Right, so the prosecuting angel will become confused so that they won't be able to prosecute. Right, they won't be able to satanize. Why? So Raji says, ah, it's not because of the complicated standing up and sitting down. Rather, when Satan witnesses, when the, pros when the prosecuting angel witnesses how much Israel loved to do mitzvot, then he'll get, like, stopped. His words will be stopped up. He won't be able to get him. He won't, he won't, he'll lose his, his, his vigor. He won't be able to, pr to plead his case. Why? Because it's based on a hermeneutics of suspicion. Right? Hasatan believes the worst in us. Hasatan thinks that we deserve what's coming to us. But when Hasatan sees how much we love mitzvot, his legs are like cut out from under him. Now, why does the shofar show him how much we love mitzvot? That's uh, as a question. Because it's not obvious, right? Like, we haven't linked A to B yet. We said before that, like, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down is going to confuse Satan. Fine, I get that. Because, like, I don't know. Imagine you're, like, you're, the first time you've ever seen a Jewish service. You're, like, lost. You're confused. Like, why are people standing? Why are people sitting? Why are people bending? I have no idea. Right? So we're confusing Satan because he doesn't go to shul. Okay. So. But Rashi's changed it now. Rashi's added a tweak. He's saying, ah. When Satan witnesses, literally hears, but when Satan witnesses how much we love mitzvahs, then his legs are cut out from under him. Why? Give me your ideas. If you accept that, that um, the standing up, sitting down, blowing the shofar means that we love the mitzvah, then, I mean, his complaint against us is that we transgress the mitzvot. So this would stop him because it's showing that Am Yisrael 
love love Torah, they love the mitzvot, and they're adhering to them. So Satan right. has no he has no case. Okay, good. So before as well, so here it's not the actual shofar that is convincing Satan or like kind of evacuating Satan's zeal, zealousness to condemn us. But rather, it's the fact that we are, like, expending our bodies. We're standing up. We're sitting down. We're doing a whole second shofar service, right? We're putting ourselves, we're putting effort into it. Effort into it that's tiring, that's, you know, frustrating, whatever it is, right? We're putting our our heart and our soul into it. So it's not that the shofar, in a sense, is just an, uh, an, an, uh, an opportunity, right, in which our love for mitzvot is evidenced. Okay, but here we, again, we kind of lost how the shofar is special. Rashi's saying, oh, no, it's a moral point, right? We love God and the mitzvot, so we stand up and sit down for the shofar. But we've lost, like, the shofar's, the sound of the shofar, right? What does Satan hear? Not the sound of the shofar. In a sense, he, he hears the scraping of the chairs as we sit up and, as we sit down and stand up. Interestingly, maybe it's the case also by standing up and sitting down, aren't we doing something exactly like what, what God was doing? Now, we don't, like, play musical chairs like God was doing, but, like, but we get up and we sit back down in a chair. Interestingly, maybe, like, mimicking what God's supposed to do. All right, but here's the Tysphus. The Tysphus being the um, intellectual grandchildren and sometimes literal grandchildren of Rashi. Okay, so they say, in order to confuse Hasatan, uh, Renee, are you raising your hand or are you um, giving a thumbs up? Okay, great. Now, leave it up there. I feel encouraged. Um, so, Piresh Ba'aruch, in the medieval, <laughs> in the medieval text, the Aruch, it explained, it brings a, a, a text from the, from the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, and it says, Bala HaMaves LaNetzach, in the future, like when the Mashiach comes, death will be swallowed. Now that's Pasuk from Navi. And it is on that, it will be on that day. A great shofar will blow, right? So the shofar, as we talked about last week, will herald the coming of Mashiach. You blow the shofar, and in comes Mashiach and his donkey. Okay? So. Kad Shama Kal Shipura. Zimna Chada. Bahil Velo Bahil. When Satan hears the shofar service the first time, Ah, he's like nervous, but he's not like freaking out. He quails and doesn't quail, right? He like kind of like, it's like, uh oh, is this a big deal? Eh, maybe not. But when he hears it the second time, vadai, then he's like, oh no, Mashiach is coming. I'm dead. Right? Because Satan and the angel of death here are conflated in one. So when Hasatan hears the second shofar service, it's not about getting up and get sitting down. Now it's the fact that when the second shofar service comes, we've confused Satan by convincing him that the end of time is nigh, that Mashiach is on his way, and that Satan's days are numbered, and he better run. Yeah, it's definitely party time, right? So we've now tricked Satan into believing, in a sense, that his death is imminent, <laughs> and that he better, like, back off, right? That this is the great shofar that will blow at the end of time. Um, and that time has arrived in which that Satan will be, uh, will be, you know, will be absorbed. Um, ah, thanks for joining, Ben. Um, 
He has no, like, available time to, like, pursue us anymore. So, that's, so that, so here we have the sound of the shofar has now, so Rashi kind of was like, ah, the sound of the shofar is not the main point. The point is that we're like, we love the mitzvot. But Tosfos bring the sound of the shofar back because every shofar we blow, it's, in it, it's like it resonates with the coming Mashiach. Right? It is, it's called, um, in literary criticism, it's called prolepsis. It is something that's happening in advance of something. It's foreshadowing, right? It's foreshadowing the coming of Mashiach. So every time we blow a, a little shofar, it's like a it's it's a tiny sliver of the big the big shofar to come. Okay. Let's say I put a, take a pause for a quick second. Okay. So here we've now shifted. So we sh first we saw that the shofar moved God from the throne of judgment to the throne of mercy. And then we started personifying those forces of judgment and how the shofar blasts them into smithereens, right? Obliterates them. Now we have, interestingly, we're setting up a different battle. Now we're setting up a battle between the prosecutor, the accuser, right? Hasatan, and us, but remember how we were asking before, right, but who's on our side? Who is on our side? Who do you think's on our side? Hashem is on our side because Hashem wants us to do well and, and wants us to, um, it wants us to do tshuva, like returning, and um, Hashem's on our side. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so here we're going to see. So before in the uh, let me just, just get a handkerchief a couple of my notes. Um, flipping allergies. Okay. So in the beginning of the class, it was asked, why is it that the Akeda is read in Rosh Hashanah? It seems like, shouldn't it be Breshit that's read in Rosh Hashanah since the beginning of the creation? And here we're going to see one other way in which Akeda is a central thematic component of the Rosh Hashanah complex. So before we saw that the shofar itself, right, is said to be um, <clears throat> derivative of the first shofar, of the, of the ram that took Isaac's place. But here we're going to have a more, like, <clears throat> mytho-poetic description. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But remember how we said before that Elohim is a name that's associated with God's side of judgment? Well, so is Isaac. Isaac is associated with the Sphera of Gevura. So now think about the Akedah in different terms. What are we doing during the Akedah? Who are we binding? We bind Isaac. So you're saying that's binding... Kavura? We're binding the force of judgment. Exactly. So, okay. Rosh Hashanah is the day in which we are engaging directly with the forces of darkness, the forces of judgment. Isaac is, it's complicated how that's the case. Like, Isaac is, you know, it's, it's complicated. But on Rosh Hashanah, we read the Akedah because that's what we're doing, too we're also engaging with and trying to bind the forces of judgment. Okay? So that's the first part there. But here, the Zohar brings... Yeah, Nancy. So hold on. Um, so 
I mean, it, it it seems that Isaac is bound, right? Yeah. But really, um, it's his dad who gets restrained. Ah, oh, that's interesting. What do you mean from killing him? Yeah, like it's yeah, is yeah. your hand against the child. Um, yes, that's true. But okay, so two things. One is just as Isaac is associated with judgment with Dean, Avraham is associated with Chesed. So it's the force of love that is binding the force of judgment. But you're right, we're not allowed to kill Gavura. Right? Like the rabbis tried to um, they like tied up the Yetzirahara to a tree and then no chickens ever get laid eggs anymore. <laughs> And they're like, oh, no, wait, we need the Yetzirah, but we need to channel it. Not, we need to rule it. We can't let it rule us. Right? So, yes, we can't kill. I mean, so when we talk, it's not evil that's inside of us. But think about, like, it's your, it's your, it's your id, right? It's your base instincts. It's the part of you that lashes out. It's the part of you that's passionate, right? And we need, it's like you need to sublimate it. You need to channel it. You need to push it into something. You can't just let it run all run ragged all over you, okay? Um, can I just say something? Yeah, please. Like this is actually this is, would be a parenthesis mm -hmm. or it's a sidebar in this prosecutorial thing. Like actually, yeah, there's like being passionate, like oh, being reactive. There's like being angry or rash. Um, or you've been uh, injustice has happened to you, so you get really angry. That's one thing, but there. Are there are people, or um, there 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 is something different which has the intention to harm? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So this is why I mean this is why most accounts of the Sitra Akhra, the evil side that we see in the Zohar and in Kabbalah, see it as branching out of Gevura, but not the same thing as Gevura. Mm, right. right that when judgment is allowed to be untempered by mercy when it becomes that's when it becomes rage and that's actually where we're about to see that's exactly where we're about to see so thank you very much nancy mind if we move on uh no i don't mind fantastic okay thank you for your comment okay so so the zohar compares this to uh, a person a person who is enraged All right so just like what nancy is saying there's a difference between let's say being like righteously angry or judgmental when it comes to a case of trying to censure injustice and what it means to be vengeful, what it means to be enraged, right? Poisoned with the venom of anger. So we compare this to a person, Varnash, who was enraged, who bound himself and armed himself like with weapons. He's getting ready to go out and in his rage, to kill people. He's just like, he's going postal, right? So, Chad Hakima, a wise person, a sage. Remember, what's Shofar called? Shofar's not work, it's wisdom. Remember that. Mm -hmm. A wise person gets up, or gets up, and stands in the doorway, and seizes him, like, grabs him, and he says, if he's able to grapple with me and overpower me, and he's going to go and kill all these people. He's going to kill anybody he finds. This guy's going nuts. But as he restrains him, and they grapple, wrestle with each other, his rage cools like he runs out of gas, 
and he doesn't go out to kill. And when he does go out, he just goes and like yells at people. Right? So his his anger cooled down, and instead of going out to murder people, he ended up like just screaming his head off at people. You know, it's no fun, but it's not being murdered. Who was the person who suffered the rage? Who suffered the force of that vengeance? You must say it was the person standing in the doorway. I, just, I, I love the Zohar so much. Um, who's that? Who's in the doorway? This is what God says to Israel. Banai, my kids. Lo tid chalun. Do not be afraid. Ha'ana ka'im al pischa. I will stand in the door. Aho. So God is holding back this, this roided out like psycho. Right, who's going to just like bash anyone's skull in that he finds. Mm. This like this is, you know, it's actually said before, like what kind of genre is this? Yeah, this is drama. Right? This is drama. It is the site of a cosmic struggle. God is, you know, we have this image of God as like God is master of all. And what God is the mightiest one here, but God is the mighty one in a struggle. God is restraining. God is using God's power to restrain like a speeding train. Like Superman, like holding back, like uh, like Spider Man and Spider Man Two, like keeping the subway from going off the tracks. Right, God is keeping something terrible from happening. But here, oh, here's an incredible point, right? Anna I will stand in the doorway. Aval but be vigilant this day, and give me strength. Uvema, with what? With the shofar. If the shofar happens like it's supposed to, and with all of the kavana that you can put into it, its sound will ascend, and it will awaken the patriarchs, and by patriarchs what we mean are chesed, gevura, and tiferes, or Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Right, that complex that we were talking about before. And it will and the sanctuary of Jacob will be established and things will be settled. That's why you need to really be vigilant about the shofar and know exactly what it is that you're doing. So this is why there's all those kavanas, those all those meditations that are written for the shofar. Because what's the shofar now? Right, we've seen it be <clears throat> a sound of, con of, of influence or even pers persuasion, seduction, moving God from one throne to another. We've seen it as a kind of like forceful blast that obliterates everything in its way. 
right, blasting away the, the forces of judgment. We saw it as actually um, uh, like a pan's pipe, like the, like the um, what's the story? Like about the kids and the, and the mice? Oh, the Pied Piper. The Pied Piper, right? The Pied Piper of Satan, right? Okay. Confusing yeah. Satan, right? Or we see it as the sound of Messiah, right? Of the, of the, of the coming, imminent, the imminent destruction, death of death. But what's the shofar here? I, I, you know, again, like, the imagery is, yeah, maybe a little bit, like, surprising for a, a Jewish context, but I, this is why I really, like, love this stuff, because it gives us so a much more wide, like, panoply of options in terms of how do we understand ourselves, situate ourselves in this. Yeah, Nancy, what's the show uh, for? Well, isn't that God is saying, okay, I'm in the doorway, but I need your help. Yes. Yeah, so give me, that's, I'm waiting to hear it. Yeah, the shofar is the um is the yeah. is the iPhone charging cable. Yeah. Right? The yeah. shofar is is infusing. It's like it's you know actually you can do this with laser beams. You can charge things with laser beams. Yeah. The zohar is infusing God with power. Yeah. It's an, it, it it situates us in such a different place now. Remember I said who's on who's pleading our case? Who's on our side? Who's fighting for us? God's fighting for us. But also, God needs our help. Um, can I say one more thing? Please. Yeah. It, that's so nice. It's so cooperative that God needs us. Uh, okay, I'm in the doorway. Don't be afraid. But um, I I need you on my side, too. Like, yeah. you know, I've got your back. But I yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's both an image of empowerment, but also vulnerability. Yeah. Right. God is saying, like, I am bringing, I am on, I am fighting for you. Don't be afraid. But also, I'm not going to infantilize you. This is a team we're on together. This is a partnership, and I need your help too. Yeah. I mean, this no, this and, is the I mean, of the Zohar. It, yeah. It can go even like sort of one step more, but like yeah. you know, like okay, like okay, I'm in the doorway. You know, don't be afraid. I'm there, but I need you, right? I need to know you're there. So it's kind of like I'm in you and you're in me to, I mean, just, I don't have to go that far, but. Yeah, no, I think, that, I think that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. We're drawing on the, on the divine inside as well. Yeah. But it's also, um, it says it's wakening up Abraham Yitzchak the Yaakov. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's on their merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah that Hashem is on our side, right? Sometimes, like, you know, there's the Midrash, the Moshe, like, took the face of Abraham and all that. So I think it's also, as well as what Nancy says, which is beautiful, I think it's it's also um, a wake-up, like an alarm clock to the, to the patriarchs to, to go to Hashem and strengthen his will to, to think kindly of us. Right, right. Yeah, so when we say patriarchs, I mean, we can either think of them as, like, maybe our ancestors' spirits in heaven, or also, which what the Zohar is imagining, is that the, the patriarchs represent the different spherot. Right, so before, if you remember, in the, you know, and um, Shosha's asking about the oneness of God, that it, go back to the classes about Kabbalah and about spherot, about the, the complex unity of God in the, in the, in the Zohar. But the point is here, right, is that, like, before, with the image of Rambam, that Rambam had was that, the shofar wakes who up? Wakes us up. 
And now it's a dialogue because we're blowing the shofar to wake God up too. Right, to arouse God's power, God's own energy, God's own force to fight. And we're fighting together. All right. So um, I want to bring us this last text, and with this we'll close. Um, but I just want to kind of, before we do, I just want to kind of bring us on the journey we've been on. So we started with um, imagery about actually how that there's a process in play that we involve ourselves in by pushing the pieces around, in a sense, right? That God is on the throne of judgment, and the shofar is used to move God to the throne of mercy. But now, as we kind of, like, stage a more personalized struggle, you know, personalized with the figure of Hasatan, the prosecutor, the, uh, right, the accuser, now what we have is actually this really beautiful image of partnership. It's beautiful. I mean, it starts with actually the really quite impactful point that, like, oh, okay, so there's an accusing, prosecuting angel, right? But who's the defense attorney? And it's a very, very, uh, you know, important point that, like, oh, it's it's not that God actually is on the throne of judgment anymore. God's actually on the dance floor, right? God is actually in the courtroom on the floor, fighting for us at the same time. So God is not just an impartial, like, you know, this kind of anti-Semitic image of, like, the God, you know, this judgmental, censorious God. God is a partner with us, trying to save us, doing everything to try to save us. And then there's a further twist, <sighs> as Nancy was putting it, that it's not, though, that just God is, like, swooping in and, like, saving us as if we're babies, but rather that God is asking for us to take responsibility for ourselves and to involve ourselves with this and to contribute to what it means, actually, to do this. So now the, the event of the shofar isn't just, like, let's say, a magical thing in which we, like, we blow the shofar the right way to, like, move God around or, like, a, like a game piece. That's a terrible image. Nor is it just like this kind of bit of trickery to like confuse Satan. Now, the shofar is a chance for us to infuse all of our kavana, all of our energy, all of our self. We talked before about mesiras nefesh, what it means to devote or infuse yourself into it. We put ourselves into the shofar and send them all the way up to heaven. That's Rosh Hashanah. Yay. We're putting it on the line. Because God needs us too. Now I'll close with this final passage from the Zohar. It says, You shall sound the shofar blast, the trua, in the seventh month of Tishrei. Why does it say shofar trua? Why doesn't it just say shofar? Because it's a shofar that breaks change. So the word trua in Aramaic can also mean to shatter. It's a sound that breaks chains. It's a sound that shatters the oppressive masters over slaves. And actually, too, what I was saying before, actually, about the, the, uh, the ibex horn. The shofar has to be straight, not curved. Mm. Why? To demonstrate that liberation is for all. It's direct. It's coming. There's nothing that's getting in the way. On this day of actualization, Yomagarim, a day that causes things to happen. Mm. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is a catalyst 
to make things happen. In all things, one must present action. Ah, action comes back, but in the form of the shofar. Not a horn, but a shofar, to show who is the place that is called shofar. It's a larger thing, but I want to talk about that point of actualization. I think we often see Rosh Hashanah as the end of a process. You do Elul, you do, tr you do Tshuva, but the truth is, it's the beginning of a year. It's the reiteration of work that takes our entire life, of Tshuva, of what it means to grow and change and become better, to come closer to who God wants us to be, our true self inside, to be able to, but not, again, it's not, it's not just that kind of, um, that navel-gazing, solipsistic image of what it means just to focus on yourself, but rather it's action, actualizing, to manifest this in the world, to change the world. Rosh Hashanah is the day the world is born again, and we are the midwives. We are helping this new world to be born. God needs our help. God needs our might. God needs our power as well. Fortunate, blessed is Israel in this world and in the world that is coming. For they know how to connect with the Holy King. To awaken the power above. To awaken the power above. And to draw down their Master's holiness upon them. That's why it's written, Ashrecha Yisrael Michamocha, which is a Pasuk we say in the Shofar service, Happy is Israel, who is like you? And, You are they who cleave to God, who are attached to eternal life. Today. Today. Hayom Haras Olam. Today the world, we say, usually say, every rabbi says, Today the world is born. Mm, my Hebrew scholars, what's Hera, what's Herayon mean? But Tahar Vatelad. Isn't Herayon to be pregnant? To be conceived. Ah, uh, okay. Because in the Ivrit, the Herayon means to be pregnant. Yeah. So that means <laughs> in the process of having conceived? Yeah, after having conceived. Okay. Today the day is the day the world is conceived. Not born. It's in a process of gestating. We are bringing it into the world. And we are called on to use the shofar as a channel to channel our spirit and our energy into this to manifest and to actualize. To really move something into happening. The shofar is about dynamic movement, moving us, something in us, as we talked about last week, even moving God, as we talked about above. But here, what we have to say is moving ourselves, moving ourselves in formation, moving ourselves and devoting ourselves to be able to bring something new into this world, which everybody has shana tova. Um, I hope everyone is able to take something. You know, I encourage you to maybe write down some notes, some thoughts for yourself, to think about Shofar. 
print out maybe one of these texts to have it with you when the shofar service happens so you can if one of these really resonated with you and as the shofar resonates in you you'll have something to reflect on um, Rosh Hashanah is Monday night so keep on getting ready um, Nancy I think I'm gonna close if that's okay yeah 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 okay um, Um, Kabbalah Shabbat's tomorrow night. Um, it's going to be a little bit quieter, though, because um, I just need to make sure to be saving my voice. Um, Shabbos morning service is 9.30. Please sign up if you haven't had a chance yet. Uh, we're a little short. We need to make sure we have a minion, so please tell your friends. Um, Havdalah and Slichot tomorrow at 10. Sorry, not, uh, Saturday night at 10. So it'll be a little bit later. So make sure to say Baruch HaMafiel bin Kosh Lechol when Shabbos is out. Mm -hmm. And then we'll say Havdalah, and then we'll do Slichos together um, at 10 o'clock on Zoom. Same link. And then, uh, yeah, then it's Rosh Hashanah. So get ready. <laughs> um, keep on getting ready. All right. Josh, can you right send time. us the, your source sheet? Yeah, I can. source sheet? Actually, I, I would like it too, if you could okay. send it. It's in the chat. Oh, great, great, great. Just okay, stay yeah. on long enough for us to download it. Yeah, hold on. Um, 